Hey guys, this is Andre. Hey, this is Stephanie. So we have a special guest returning to the podcast. Uh, we have Ben Lau with us today. He's going to kind of follow up on a part two on uh, discrimination. So uh, this will be another part to that. And it's going to be a good episode. I can already I feel, so. feel, it. feel it. I, I already feel, feel it already. So we want to welcome back Ben. Ben, how are you doing today? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me back. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. So let's just dive right into it. I know that there were some things that we wanted to discuss and let's just get right into it. So I know that we touched upon uh, different aspects of racism and especially in terms of the anti-Asian hate crimes and things like that to that extent. But I guess today we're going to try to focus on systemic racism the educational system as a whole, and definitely about affirmative action. So Ben, I don't know where you want to go first and try to take that conversation and lead the, lead the way, lead the way. <laughs> well, the first time, uh, or rather the last time uh, I was on the podcast, uh, we, we we got off on a little bit of a tangent. I was going somewhere, I promise. <laughs> I was going somewhere with that. And um, we, we touched about how uh, Andre and myself, we and, and his brother, you know, we we came from uh, communities where the outcome wasn't really all that great for right. for for a lot of those folks, right? And we were the lucky ones that got out. And the point that I was trying to make was that you you had this racist infrastructure that's in place that uh, perpetuates this, this status quo for communities of color. Okay, and and the reason why they're struggling, you know, to le- to leave these communities or to to thrive in these communities, is because you have these these this this thing in place that keeps them there. You know, it could be um, it could be law enforcement, it could be the resources that they have at school, it could be the quality of the teachers, it could be um, it could even be uh, you know stuff to keep these kids out of trouble, or even resources to help these kids thrive, uh, like after school programs and things like that. You know, right. so um, you have these things that are keeping them down. The thing is, um, it also affects the Asian community as well. Even though a lot of folks don't talk about it, you know, when you see on the news, or rather, when you look at these studies and these statistics, right, where you have Asian communities and they are, you know, as 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 a population within America, they are. You know, if you're just looking at uh, the financial numbers, right? What they're earning, their median income, and all that kind of stuff. It, it on paper, it looks like they're doing really, really well, right? But the thing is, you have a large part of that population who are also in these, who are mixed in with these communities of color, especially in Queens. Right. I, I think there's a lot of that in, happening in Queens too. You know, where there's a lot of, a lot of mixing going on with, with these different communities, and they they are growing up in these school districts that might not be performing that well. You know, they might be um, coming from working class or, you know, uh, poor households and things like that. So they might not be getting those opportunities as well. You know, I was lucky enough to, I, I was lucky enough. I was one of the lucky few who were able to, to, to pick up and go. Our family was able to go pick up and go and leave and, 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 and find opportunity elsewhere, just like just like your family did, right, Andre? But the thing is, it's overlooked. The struggles that these Asian American families have, it's often overlooked because if you look at the numbers again, you know, like if you look at the, the numbers as a whole, it projects a, a different message that they're not struggling, but the, fa- the fact is they are struggling. But why do right. you think that's so? But like, why is that? Like, how is it that we don't know? Because I, I for one, I don't know about it because I'm not familiar with the, the st- not the stigma, but like with that type of community, because I'm not aware of it. 
you know, because we all live in our own little tight knit areas, right? right? And and you know, each borough has its own zip code, and within that zip code, you have of different areas, you know. But well, I'll tell you what, how this really uh, affects, especially the Asian American community, right? So you have all these programs, like affirmative action, that um, they're really geared towards helping out communities of color. And at its core, the foundation of, 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 of why affirmative action uh, was necessary, right? Was uh, really to, to help those communities of colors uh, get opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise necessarily have gotten, get, right? right? Right. So I'm um, I'm for that, and and also there's there's a value of having diversity in that learning environment, you know, because I think that's important too. Outside of just like books and math and science and all that kind of stuff, right. having exposure to other cultures and other backgrounds different from yourself that has value. Absolutely, as a grown up. Absolutely, you know what I mean. So affirmative action at its core, the foundation, right? That. That I feel that it's important. It promotes diversity and in, in, in the learning environment. There's there's more value to the students. Uh, it provides value to the students beyond just like math and science and social studies and all that kind of stuff. Learning about all these different backgrounds and and having exposure to these different walks of life that that that, that brings value to the classroom. And that, and in that way, affirmative action is very helpful, very useful, right? And also, you're also helping a lot of other uh, these folks of color, these black and brown folks who might not have had these opportunities. Maybe they started at a disadvantage at their home districts. Right, right. You know what I mean? So this is one way that we can kind of... Level the playing field. Yeah, kind of level, level the playing field. But I'm kind of on the fence of what, about that, you know? And I, and I think I know the reason why you asked. It's almost like you're... Like, we don't need that handout. Is that kind of the idea it's, behind it's that? It's like you're, you're carrying them across the finish line and yes, they're starting from a disadvantage and you want to give them these opportunities, right? But why don't we try to solve the problem early on where we have the largest impact? Right. Why don't we fund the schools that are in the district? Okay. I'll give, you, I'll give you an example. You have, at least when I was uh, that age, when I was about to go to high school, there were like three STEM magnet high schools. Right, it was in, um, Brooklyn Tech, Bronx, uh, School of Science, and Stuyvesant. And Stuyvesant, you got those three, right? And you would have to take a test to get into these schools. It's based on how oh, how well no, you do all these scored, exams. Right. Right? right, right. I wasn't smart enough to get to that. Me neither. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> I didn't get it either. All right. But you had to take a test to get in, right? So um, so what would happen? So actually, so uh, in recent years, in recent years, they're trying to do away with that test. Really? Yeah, they're trying to do away with that test and they want to... Um, they want to not enforce, but they want to like kind of push affirmative action and allow access to these school resources. Uh, uh, they, they want to allow uh, the communities of color, the ones that are kind of like struggling, the school districts that are struggling, get those kids to get into that school. doesn't matter what their exam scores are. If we hit a quota of uh, a certain type of student, then we're done. All right. We, now we got to like reserve 15% of incoming students to these struggling districts. Okay. Okay. So even if they didn't do as well uh, on the exam as these other kids, like we should let them in because there is value in diversity, right? And I'm not, I'm not. That, right. We don't take away from that. Yeah, we right. don't take away from that. I, I do see value in that, right? But now you have these kids that might not be academically ready to handle the workload that they're going to be faced with because now 
they didn't do as well on exams. Not to say that they're not smart kids, right? But they they were not performing as high as the kids that were that scored higher on these uh, higher on these exams, right? So if you if you use the affirmative action model, right? Now you're letting these kids in who didn't do as well on these exams, right? I don't think the solution is just to, to hey, just get these kids into the school. We need to see why why did they not perform perform well in the first place in the in the first place? Why don't we go into their districts and see what's going on there? Right. But do you think that has something to do with also like with social promotion as well? Mm-hmm. Because I know that, I mean, for us, we're struggling with that right now. Um, and in terms of COVID, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the kids were not performing how they would usually would perform. You mm-hmm. know, they have different right, so, obstacles right. that would kind of, you know, bring down the scores. So they basically they, right, they lowered the standards, they lowered the standards mm-hmm. passing in scores. order for the kids to pass. To advance, right. Right. So do you think is that, that the right? Is that the that's, right? That's the question. Is that the right way to right. do it? I don't that think was, so. I don't think that's sending the right message. <laughs> that, I think that's what, that's, I think that's, that's what the I'm point. Trying to get to. That's yeah. what I'm trying to get to. Like now you lower in the standards so you get all these, these other people. To, so you give the appearance that you're being fair, but you're not really helping them because they, they didn't really do it on their own. You know what right. I mean? They only did maybe 80% of the work or 90% of the work. Right, or maybe they're performing only eighty percent as well, or ninety percent as well. Don't get me wrong; they're they're starting from a huge disadvantage. Maybe they're coming from single parent households. Maybe they're coming from uh, a neighborhood that's crime ridden, crime ridden, right? Or maybe they're um, uh, they're uh, I don't know. There's maybe there's drugs, or maybe there's crime. There's uh, there's a lot of there's a lot there's of variables. There's so many different variables. Right, yeah. Right? So we don't want to take away from that. Yes, they're starting from a disadvantage, right? So why don't we address those inequities first? Right. right. You know, you spend all these resources to, to do all this other stuff, right? Why don't we spend the resources to fix those problems? Because with affirmative action, it's I feel like that's like the, you're, you're trying to solve. You're putting a Band-Aid. You're putting a for- Band-Aid and, and you're taking care of the symptom, but not the problem. You're, 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 you're just treating the symptom. Temporarily. Not, yeah, it's right. a temporary fix. It's not, you're not causing the, the, you're not trying to solve the actual problem. What's the root cause of that problem? What the root cause is. And the root cause is, you know, the opportunities in those schools. Why, why, why are those schools underperforming in the first place? I'll tell you something. So uh, New Jersey has 330 high schools, okay? New Jersey? New Jersey. Oh, okay. Like 330, 330 high schools or something like that. And I live in a town where the high school, I think it's ranked like 310. Wow. <laughs> something like that. Wow. It's really, okay. it's really uh, at the bottom, right? In terms of performance. In terms of performance, right? And I've actually had the opportunity because I, you know, I take Uber and stuff. So I had some of these, uh, these people who graduated from that high school drive me around and I had uh, drive me around uh, to wherever I needed to go. And I had a conversation with an alumni from this high school. Really nice, really nice lady. And um, I asked her about, I was like, what was your experience like going to this school? She was like, well, teachers don't care. Uh, the kids are acting up, mm. you know, and sometimes they would kick the kids out of school because they were acting up, but that doesn't really help them because right. you're removing them from a learning environment. You know, so I, I could see where the school administration might be having struggles. You know, like, what do you do? Do you kick the kid out of school or you try to keep them in, in the school? Because if you kick them out of school, they're at home, parents got to work. What do you think they're doing all day? They're probably up to no good, right? That's so, what I was doing. <laughs> Mom wasn't home. We were up to no good. <laughs> That's so, a whole different then, episode. Then we started making trouble in the neighborhood. <laughs> and, then, and then what she also told me was very enlightening was, um, you know, she had finished all, she was driving Uber, she was, ta- she was paying for her way, own way to go to like 
nursing school or something like that, right? She was doing something good for herself. And um, she was telling me how she would take all the courses at school Mm -hmm. and she'd get to a certain level and then the school didn't offer anything beyond that level. So she had to retake certain courses over and over again. So she would finish, let's say, um, you do you do your math courses and you go all the way to calculus, right? Right. Actually, I even think this class, this school has calculus. <laughs> I think it's, oh, I think wow. they, they stop at algebra or something like that. I don't know, something like that. And after you finish that, then they have no more math courses to teach you. Wow. And you can be in in a junior and still not taking any math. Yeah, you're done. Oh, you basically wow. you finish you finish everything. So basically, the, the school didn't have the resources to uh, to allow the kids to reach their potential. You know, like I, I I'm from. I'm from that thought that kids have boundless potential. They Absolutely. Can go, they can go as far as they want to go, but you have to give them that opportunity right, to go as far. Right, because that's what, that's what we teach them. Oh, the, the world's limitless. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, but then does it come to the sense of exactly. a reality, reality that has now to come have, in? Like, now you have hurdles. Like, you have hoops. Like, listen, this is not easy. Across. So exactly. to bring this full circle, right? So you have this, you have this systemic racism infrastructure in place to keep these communities of colors down, all right? Maybe these schools are underfunded. There's not enough after-school programs or whatever it is to keep these kids out of trouble, right? Um, There might not be a lot of job opportunities for their parents, all right? There's a lot of things that they're struggling with, right? But oftentimes this conversation is usually directed towards black and brown communities, right? So a lot of times you have these uh, Asian-American communities that are uh, often overlooked. You know, they are part of these black and brown communities too. And you see this in, in Queens. Um, I don't know if you see that in New Jersey as much. I don't know. Maybe there are. Maybe I think maybe in Jersey City there might be. All right. But but in any case, regardless, right? So you have these Asian American communities who are part of these black and brown communities as well. Right. And when you have these affirmative action programs, they're not, you know, that conversation usually revolves just around the black and brown communities. Usually the Asian Americans are left out of that. Okay. But do you think it's because it's it's just a smaller community? I mean, do you think that it's just numbers? Like if numbers take a part into that, you know, there's the majority of, of you know, we're thinking half of, uh, of America now speaks a, uh, two different languages, right? So, sure. and then you have the other half of that half that are black and brown. Do you think it's just a numbers game that they're not included because it's literally a numbers game? I don't know, because I think, and you Google this, I don't have a computer, right? Like what's the population of the African-American population in the United States? Is it like around 10%, I think, right? And then the Asian-American community, I think is around five or 6%. You can correct me if I'm wrong, okay? So it, it's a sizable, it's a sizable population. So you have a lot of these programs uh, that are designed to provide equity to these communities of color, uh, more specifically uh, black and brown communities, right? But you don't have, it doesn't work quite the same way for Asian Americans. You know what I mean? Because they're over, they're oftentimes overlooked because they don't, they're not seen as part of that community. Because you look at the raw numbers, you look at median household incomes across the United States. Asian Americans actually, they, they, on paper, they out earn their white counterparts. Okay. Really? Look it up. <laughs> <laughs> Not right now. Go, Go ahead. ahead. No, but I'm Go gonna, ahead. I'm Look it up. On average, Asian American households they out earn. They're the top income earners in America. Oh, look at this. Am I right? Asian household eighty five. White counterpart sixty one. Right. 
Well, I don't know. That number doesn't include me in that. No, no, no. <laughs> that <count. laughs> that's, the, that's, that's in 2019. That's why I wanted right. to put it. Right. Well, 2020 doesn't count anyway. Right, I was going to say. Yeah, 2020 doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't count, count. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah. But what I'm saying is, you know, because people see these numbers, like, you know, Asian Americans, they don't need our help. We don't need affirmative action to help them out. So do you know what happens? You have these magnet schools in and around the city. It's like, they don't need our help. You know, we see an Asian name. On the, on the application? He's, he's destined for greatness. No, no, no. Well, what's that? They don't need our help. He doesn't need our help. But what? what? No, but that's his point. It's an assumption. Right, right, right. It's an assumption. He doesn't need our help. He's got an Asian name. He doesn't need our help. So actually, we're gonna put it, we might put him in the reject pile because we've got to make space for these other folks who are coming from struggling communities. But you don't know if... There's no way for, for the, the person who's looking at the application to know if that person came from a community that was struggling too. Maybe they, went, came, they came from a bad high school or right. a bad middle school or whatever it is. You know what I mean? They don't know they came from a single uh, single yeah. parent household. Yeah, you can't tell from paper. I mean, you know what I mean? You can't. And actually, if you you can look this up too, look it up right? Too. <laughs> <laughs> you look at all the Ivy League schools, right? They actually got in trouble the last couple of years. You know, Princeton, Harvard, Yale, all you know the big uh, Ivy League schools. Okay, they got in trouble because they got busted for denying entry, or or rather, like they were withholding admissions for these Asian American uh, uh, applicants simply just looking at their names. Wow. Maybe they scored really high on the SATs. Maybe they wrote really great essays. The resume looks great. Everything looks great. But you see this Asian name. Like, nah, we got enough Asians coming into school. <laughs> we got to, wow. because, because of affirmative because action, of affirmative we need to make room for these other folks who are struggling. But the thing is, like, how do you know that they're not coming from a community that's struggling? Right. You know? And actually, you can make that argument for uh, Caucasians. Caucasians, too. I was going <laughs> to say. I was just going to say, can you do you it know? for them as well? But... Um, but we're not going to talk about that today. No, no, that's not our focus. Right? But I'm just saying that affirmative action harms Asian Americans. More too. than it does good. You know, I, I, I fully support what the, uh, the underlying uh, foundation of, of why it was necessary in the first place. Because right. you have these communities that were starting at a disadvantage. We want to help them get these opportunities that weren't afforded to them growing up. Right? But... Um, but my personal take on that is why don't we spend those resources and go directly to their communities and try to fix those things, whether it's law enforcement or after school programs or better funding the schools, the teachers, you know, so that way they can get those opportunities from the beginning as opposed to trying to like patch it up and try to fix right. it, try to make it right. Basically, affirmative action is making it right. Making it right. Okay. When it times when it comes time to to make it right, right? But why don't why can't we just make it right in the very beginning? Right. You know what I mean. Anyway, that that was my that was that was that was my thing. That was, that was the point that I was trying to gear towards in the previous episode. episode. <laughs> you know, like I wanted. To, I was talking about the school system and all that kind of stuff. But I wanted to talk about really wanted to talk about affirmative action and how it really negatively impacts. Asian American communities, and uh, hopefully, hopefully that makes sense to you guys. No, I no, I, I feel the same way because when I was in school, I felt like I didn't have enough resources to excel. But do you think it's because of the community that you were in, or because you were Latino? Like, what what were the advantages well, that you one, or disadvantages? Well, excuse me. To be honest, I, uh, growing from middle school to high school, I was a ninety nine average student. Top student, honor roll, honor roll student, honor roll student. Right. So when we were doing the high school applications, I got into August Martin Aviation High School, uh, Brooklyn Tech, and all mm-hmm. stuff. So I, yeah, I but into- see, but your story is a little bit different because it was really 
it, it was kind of your mom. Yeah, that's what it was. Because she was, was afraid that I would get jumped or something or get something would happen to me on the train along the way. She had a fear. So I ended up going to my zone school, which was the top 10 bad school in New York City at the time. But I think we were trying to gear towards understanding the decision that was made for you because I, I feel like that decision was made for you. Right. Only, only because... Like I, I, my, my, my life would have been differently if I right. would have went to one of those schools. Mm-hmm. Same here. But do you think... That's so hard to say it's that. It's hard to say because It's so hard to say. Know. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll, You'll never, never know. know. But do you, if you were able to go to aviation school, do you think that it would have been like the path that you would have wanted? Like, you, what, like what would be the goal? Like, well, when I went to college... I ended up applying for computer science at City Tech New York. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So and when I got there, I didn't want to do computer science because I'm like, I did my four years. I did drafting, technical drawing, all stuff, mm-hmm. almost like enge- almost towards the engineering side mm-hmm. of the degree. So I was like, what, what do you guys have here that's that's that has technical drawing, drafting? They said, oh, we have engineering and we have architecture. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I'll do architecture. You right, know? So right. That's how I decided to do architecture, and that's how we met. Right. Um, I had the opportunity. Here's the other thing: I got the opportunity to travel abroad when I was in high school. All right. When you when you these inner city schools, do they have these opportunities for these kids to travel abroad? Because the thing we we mentioned, we touched upon this in the previous episode, where traveling abroad really broadens your exposure to what's out there. You know. Like how other people think, how people, other people tackle solutions. And how they right? live, and, 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 how, and how they, they, live, and how they, they thrive. Think, how they think and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? So anyway, so I, I went to Germany, uh, I think when I was 15 or 16, and I didn't speak a, a lick. A lick of a, it. Well, thankfully they speak English over there, right? <laughs> so now right. would you attribute this to having your schooling in Maryland, right? Well, I went to a magnet school in Maryland. No, but he still went to a magnet now, school though. My question is, do you, did you think, do you think that it would have turned out the same way if you were in New York City. School. Actually, when I went down to Maryland, uh, I mentioned in the previous podcast we we were living in a working class, not so great right. neighborhood. So if I were to attend school in that district, yeah. I don't think the outcomes would have been the same because I don't think the opportunities would have been right. the same. Don't get me wrong; there's a lot of you have a little a lot of bright kids that came out of that school, right. but I think my opportunities were greater because I attended this magnet school. Right, you know, because I surrounded myself with other kids who were like-minded, you right, know? right, and 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 they were very ambitious, and that made, in turn made me ambitious too. But when you when you traveled abroad, you were not in that magnet school. I right? was. You were right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know if these opportunities would have been available. See, right, right. Yeah, I'm but, saying, but I, I'm not aware go- about traveling abroad right here. but then when you go to a low performing school mm-hmm. those options are off the table yeah I don't think they're available no exactly. yeah. that so, wasn't offered in my school <laughs> <laughs> like where are you going we didn't even the have like thing, bleachers like let alone we're gonna go travel across like our school was a top performing high school um, we didn't even have lockers we didn't have lockers <laughs> like 98% of the school graduated and they went to do big things everyone went to go on and do big things that's amazing right, like, like me like in high school it was two things either excel which i did in excel in high school my average dropped or get a scholarship in sports right so i played baseball right pretty much throughout my whole high school right. but that's an banking, opportunity though right i was banking, banking maybe, on for you to be into the major maybe leagues I'll go right to the majors you right. know but let's get, bring it back right let's bring yeah, it back let's bring it back let's bring it back i had i had the opportunity to go to this to go to this magnet school um and yeah i had the opportunity to go to this magnet school and um 
while you might have some other folks who grew up in my neighborhood in Maryland, and maybe they, they didn't have the opportunity to go to my school. Right. Because maybe they were underperforming. Well, why didn't we catch this when they were in middle school that they were underperforming? They had, I had the same teachers as they did, you know? Right. So if they were under, underperforming, why didn't we address that? Why do we allow these kids to fail? But I think it goes back to that conversation you had with the Uber driver. Uh-huh. It, it's a mixture of having the teachers caring a little bit more mm-hmm. or being more involved. But I'm just curious, that particular school in Jersey, was it, what was the community like there? Was it a Caucasian? Was it a mixture? Was it like, I'm just, I'm curious just thinking about like. Let's look it up. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, it's, it's, it's predominantly black and brown. Yeah, you got like 50,000. Uh, it's, a, it's a city of 50,000, and I think it's mostly black and brown. I think it's, um, I want to say it's 50%, 50% um, Central American, 30, 40% black. And then it's just a little bit of white, and then my Asian family. We got, a, you know, the, the five Chinese restaurants in town. They, we, all, we, all, we own all of them, right? So... Um, but yeah, uh, so we are like the minority <laughs> inside a minority. Inside town. the minority. Wow. Yeah, uh, but like I don't, I don't mind it at all. You know, I have great neighbors. I don't mind them at all. Uh, but I do, I, I do acknowledge that the school system is broken in our school, and which is the reason why our kids attend private school outside of town. You know, ha- after having this conversation with the Uber driver, confirmed that because I've seen a lot of these reports about, you know, what the school's doing, what, what, what they're not doing. And, you know, you, you might have some bright kids coming out of that school, but like overall, just hearing this come from this Uber driver who attended that school and it's like, you know, the teachers don't care. Right. The kids just messing around and we don't get to reach our full potential. I don't want to hear that as a parent. You guys are parents. You guys oh, don't yeah. want to hear that. I don't yeah. want to hear that. Our kids go to charter school, one of the top charter schools in New York City, and we didn't want them to be in an inner city school. But I think, I think the decision- Because of the fact of the low performing. Right. And I think what changed for us, the game for that is that this school's core is to give the brown and the, the black and brown Community. the opportunity. opportunity right. That's great. That's what I want to hear. That, and that was, that was a totally different approach. And I, it, it was new to me. It mm-hmm. was like, I've never heard of anything- like that so right. I was just like I was like we I were excited like that. we're going here this is what we're doing and let me tell you like six years later it is a lot of work but it's Non-stop. for their good it's for their it's, it's for their a good. lot it's of work good. if they were to go to a regular school it, they would not school, be performing the way that they perform yeah, now they'd be super advanced you know delete delete 2020 but the way that the, the projection of where they were going amazing like I was super surprised the way that they were learning, the, the, the approach, the, the demand. And it was hard for them at first for them to adjust to the workload, but because we're on top of them, it's like, hey, hey, what do we, what do you need help with? Right. Let, let's, let's do it together. Let's mm-hmm. figure it out. Mm-hmm. So we are as their resources as well. And we were pushing them because we want them to do better than us. That's right. going to be hard. Really want them to go to the zone It's going to be hard to do better than us. But, <laughs> but you know, the whole point is for them to do way better than us. All right. Well, you know, you guys also- give, Right, and to, give them, sorry, and to give them opportunities. And you guys have the benefit of having like a two-parent household too. You know what I mean? Like some of the kids don't have those opportunities either. But I also wanted to add on top of that, that 
you know, you, you don't want to shut out the Asian American community out of that process too. Right. You know, because they might be coming from those same communities as well. And that was the point that I was trying to make. You know, because like sometimes you look at the application, all you see is a name and, uh, and they, they get shut out of the process. You know, an affirmative action doesn't really benefit them. Yep. And I think it's the same thing that happens with resume as well. I mean, if you're applying, uh, there's certain names you look like, uh, next. <laughs> no, it's, it's true. It is true. It's true. They probably haven't even read, you know, halfway through. Right. And it's true. We have a friend who has a boy's name mm-hmm. and her mother gave her the boy's name just for that reason. Oh, is that right? So when she goes to an interview, they're going to think it's a guy and show up as, as a woman. Like, let me, let me tell you something. As a person who really? was... Yeah. Okay. That's <laughs> okay. So let me tell you something. Um, I used to be in charge of hiring new recruits at a company. When I, when, I, when I got out of college, I got into management. I was in charge of hiring the recruits. Let me tell you something. I spend maybe... I spend maybe five seconds or 10 seconds looking at a resume. I don't spend a lot. Because I have a stack, like hundreds of resumes. So if I see a typo, you're out. But I don't, I'm not looking at the names, by the way. You had to, <laughs> make, you had to make sure that. Yeah, I, had to, I had to clarify. I, don't, I wasn't looking at the names, but I was looking at the like, experience and the academic. Like experience, like, is this going to be a really good fit for you, this type of job? You know, um, I wanted to see, um, um, I wanted to see uh, relevant experience. Uh, education didn't really matter. I, I was really looking for people that were willing to work hard and like. like so, so my, my question is, how many people are truthful about the experience? That's true too. How I did it, I, you know what? Like even how I run my business today, right? I give everyone a chance. I don't, I don't, I don't really look at the resumes. I want to meet you in person, and your experience does. It matters a little bit, but it doesn't really matter as much. You know, like I want to see where your heart is at and what you're trying to do. Yeah, but you have to look at that resume first in order for them to come to the door. <laughs> you know? I'll take anyone that wants to apply, you know? And a lot of times is, uh, you know, after I do my little presentation, hey, hey listen, this is what the job's going to entail. You know, this is going to be a lot of work. I try to actually, I try to scare these recruits. Like, listen, there's going to be a lot of work. This is going to be a lot of like just hard work, you know? I try to scare them. And if they still want to stick around, then I'll give them a chance. Yeah. I might not be like other hiring managers, you know, people in charge of hiring. That's what I do a little bit differently, you know, because I think everyone deserves a chance. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I don't know how hard you're going to work. You can tell me anything you want. <laughs> and that's how I felt too. No, but I, lo- I, I, lo- I love the ones that they embellish the resume and then they come oh, in and it's like, course. oh yeah, you know how to do this? Okay, come in. And you look like, that's what I said how many people are truthful yeah we once had this recruit right he said he went to XYZ school he studied photography right and uh, and then we took him out with us and he went to my wife he's like yeah yeah, my pictures are all dark what's going on I was like yo do you have your lens cap still on front of the camera you're lying (laughs) I was like you went to how many years of uh, photography class yeah, he had his all, his settings were all wrong and everything. I was like, "There's no way you went to like you you slept through photography class. <laughs> you didn't attend photography class. You you slept through oh photography class." Goodness. Anyway, uh, well, that was my little spiel: affirmative action and how it negatively impacts Asian American communities because a lot of times they are overlooked. And that and and this past I don't know thirty minutes that we've been talking <laughs> was really just about that. 
you right. know, uh, and that's why I wanted to touch on education in the previous podcast, uh, and and re- and really dive into affirmative action, okay? Uh, because oftentimes we are overlooked, and uh, we don't get the same benefits as other communities of color, even though we are a part of that community ourselves. So our next topic is about the new bill that just passed. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the Senate passed a bill to target anti-Asian hate crimes. And this one was kind of like a doozy because it passed unopposed, like 94 to 1. And I don't think this is going to do anything. I think it's still going to end up still being no, the same it's thing. A, it's a start. It's a step in the right direction. It's a start. So one of the quotes this here says, uh, by passing this bill, the Senate makes it very clear that hate and discrimination against any group has no place in America. This is by Senator Chuck Schumer. Hmm. Well, but what does that do, though? This is nothing. It does nothing because, like, a little kid knows what the difference between right and wrong. Right. A little kid knows that being racist is not cool. So why do you need a law to put that on the open? You know, I mean, it's it, it's people know that that's not right. Right. You know what I mean? So like, well, I think that's the assumption. I think the assumption is everybody thinks that they know right and wrong, but again, it also starts with, you know, the teachings at home. You know, right. and it's. That's nice. Thank you. Listen, like as 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 an Asian American person, who I guess this 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 bill was designed for, I appreciate the effort, but mm-hmm. I don't think that it actually does anything. That it's for fluff. Yeah, it's it's all for fluff. I don't think it does anything that is very useful to mm. us. Right. Just the fact that he said this is a first step in the right direction for all groups. You know, why are you passing a bill just to target one specific? race well not just that no i think it's not just that though i think it's just highlighting again like ben made a great point that you when we have these movements uh, quote unquote you're trying to highlight the experience because everybody's experience is different right so does this apply with the bill itself is it a different experience that they're trying to put the band-aid on is that is that what they're, that's what the... Yeah, my thing is, it's like, this is just all for show. You know, like, it doesn't really do anything concrete. There are no concrete steps to kind of prevent this kind of stuff from happening. You know what I mean? I mean, what, what, what does the law say? Do you have a summary of what it does? See, the measure... Hate crimes are already illegal in America. Yeah, I was going to say. I was just gonna it would hate. also encourage the creation of state-run hate crime hotlines, provide... Grant money to law enforcement agencies that train their officers to identify hate crimes and introduce a series of public education campaigns around bias against people of Asian descent. Yeah, but isn't that what we're supposed to be doing now? Not only that, like if I'm walking in the middle, like let's say I'm going to Central Park, I'm walking through Central Park and I get like just jumped just for being Asian. They start yelling slurs at me. They start beating me up. I mean, what does this bill do to prevent that from happening? Doesn't do anything. It's just, That's what's happening right now in New York City. Just telling you to report the crime. Yeah, report it. It's already happened. I already right. got. I already got beat. I got a beat down in the middle of Central Park or in the middle of like uh, Hell's Kitchen or Midtown. Right. I'm just, like these stories are happening right now. Right. Okay. And and, and it's crazy because like the Emmett Till anti lynching bill has been around since 1955. Does, did that change anything? It hasn't even been approved yet, but yet here we are. Wait a minute. How has it not been approved? It has been approved. It's been up. They keep revising it and uh, all the way until now it's never been it's approved. It's got to be 100 years now, yeah. right? It's 1955. About 100, so. Oh, 55? 
So I got 61 years. 61 years. What? And it's never been approved. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. But yeah, this one got approved right away. Wait, I'm confused about that. If if you're talking about Emmett Till, right? The, a quick background is um, it was a young teenager that was um, accused of a crime of, I think it was um, assaulting a white woman and it wasn't even the case. And then right. and when she passed away that she kind of revealed that it wasn't him, it wasn't him in yeah. the first place, but he was lynched, lynched, right. uh, essentially lynched. And I'm thinking it's it, it doesn't it can't you just assume that lynching is not good either? <laughs> like I, I, I don't understand why would they have to have a bill to say that lynching is bad. Right. Bad. Right. It says this one was introduced in twenty nineteen, but I think they were trying to get reparation for for African Americans in general for the longest. Yeah. And they never approved any bills. And then the Asian anti Asian bill got went ninety four to one on the, pretty much unopposed. Passed right away, but I don't think it's going to change anything. Yeah, but you make, you're bringing up a point about it, it applied to one group that's been waiting for over for, for 60 years, years and then yeah, yeah. another group that only waited, what, a year? Can't yeah. you just see the, the, the difference in that in itself? Like, that's, oh, yeah. that's a problem. That's, it is a problem. Yeah, the, the anti-Asian hate bill got passed pretty quickly. But, you know, this is also glossing over the fact that Asian Americans have been experiencing hate crimes for much longer than that. A lot of this, I think I mentioned this in a previous episode, that Asian Americans have been experiencing racism well before coronavirus ever became an issue. Absolutely. Right. Okay. But, but that coronavirus pretty much exacerbated the situation yeah. even more. I'm reading the reports here, like reading on US News, that attacks on Asian Americans has spiked by 164% in the first quarter of 2021. That's just the ones that are reported. That was just the ones that were reported. Because, you know, there's a lot in our community, they don't, they can't speak English, they can't report it, they don't know what resources they have at their disposal, they just, you know, those are just the ones that are reported. Yeah, I mean, I would say though, like the attacks, like the actual physical assaults, that has probably ramped up in recent, in, in, in recent, in the recent year or so, year and a half, but I would say the racism. Uh, I would say that the racism has always been around, you know, in other ways, in Absolutely. different ways. Fortunately for the Asian American community, you know, a lot of the racism that's been directed towards us has not has not really been as violent as as it has been for other communities of color. Okay. Okay. Yes, you. you we have been like our community, like. There has there have been lynchings, there have been some beatings and stuff like that, but not to the extent of, you know, the other minorities in America. Okay, so we have to acknowledge that, right? Right. But it still has happened. It still has been happening for hundreds of years that we've been here in America. That's the other thing. Yeah, yeah. Asians have been here for a long time. Long. I'm fifth generation. I'm proof of that. You know, my family's been here, eight, you know, since the 1800s. Wow. Okay. So. A legacy. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Because the thing is, when they came in the 1800s, they lived, um, they lived in the Chinatowns. They weren't allowed to live anywhere else. Was that, um, was that considered the slums? I guess you would call it the slums, yeah. the ghettos. Slum, the ghettos. Yeah. And I think they did this with other um, ethnic groups too. Absolutely. Not just with the Chinese. But other ethnic groups too. Absolutely. You know, you're not allowed to move anywhere else, and you know, they had all these other things going on. Um, there might have been violence. I'm, I'm not. I'm not 100 percent sure. I'm sure there was though. So, 
Um, but it hasn't really been talked about too recently, you know, with all these events going on because now everything's televised, right? Televised, right? Every, you got, have social media. Everyone's got a camera on their in their pockets. You know, now you can actually see it happening, and, and it's the access. It's just it's overwhelming sometimes because I feel like you have the attention surrounding your what's in your hand. So it's 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 everything is just brought to the front. But the other thing is, you know, um, Asian Americans or Asians in general, you know, they're perceived as the model minority. They're not, they're not there to ruffle any feathers. They want to cause tra drama, problems. They don't, want, they don't want the spotlight on them. They just want to like stay under the radar, do their work, do their thing, and just like live a happy life, just being left alone, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So even if bad things happen to them, they don't want any trouble. Because as soon as they go to the cops or they try to go to court or whatever it is, right? Now you're bringing attention to yourself. And that's, that's not something necessarily that, that we're taught at home. You know, mm. bringing attention to ourselves. We don't want attention. You know, we don't want attention to ourselves. So, you know, Asian Americans, there's this model minority myth. Well, it's, it's not really a myth 100% only because there is some truth to it in the way that we don't want to draw attention to ourselves. We, mm -hmm. don't, we don't want any drama. We don't want to ruffle any feathers. So as soon as we go to the cops and, and make a big deal out of things, right? That's not what we want. That's not, the way, that's not the way that we were raised. At least that's not the way that I was raised, you know? So that's why when you say, all right, well, the, all these things were reported. Well, all these crimes were reported. Well, those are the only ones that were reported. You have this model minority myth where... It's not really a myth completely, you know, where, where you have this stereotype of your typical Asian American who doesn't want to ruffle feathers. They, want to, they don't want attention drawn to themselves, you know, and, and going to the police or making a big deal out of this is kind of like counterintuitive to that, to the way that we were brought up. You know, I speak for my, at least for my own family and the way that I was brought up. And even as a fifth generation American, these were the values that I was brought up. You know, not to... So you didn't talk to anybody? Like, you didn't, like, whatever you kept, you kept to yourself and you really didn't Yeah, well, if I ruffle any feathers, what good does it do? Right. You know, who's going to help me? That's, I think that was the thing. Like, all right, you bring, you, you go get a teacher, but the teacher doesn't do anything for you. Right. Okay? Like I told you in the last episode, uh, when I had my yearbook signed, they, had, they wrote all these slurs on my... Yes, yearbook, yes, yes. Right? I, I right? right? That. But that was just a yearbook incident. You know, like I would get picked on in the, in the hallways and in class and all that kind of stuff. I would go to the guidance counselor for that, but they didn't do anything for me. They didn't or they, they couldn't? They did not. Or they couldn't. Well, maybe they couldn't either, right? But what's the point of me taking it to the authorities, the people who were supposed to protect me? If it's not going to change anything. If it's not going to change anything. So do you think that that's the same idea with the bill? It's like, you're, yes, you're, you're sending the message that, yes, we don't tolerate, um, you know, hate crimes and things like that, but that's already... I thought that that was already something that was in the works already. We have an understanding that they're, we're not supposed to, you know. It's like these anti-bullying kind of things that they right. had at school, right? Right, Listen, right. These bullies are still doing what there's, like it's all lip service. Hey, we, we, we stand against bullying, right? But it's still happening. So how do, you, how do you address that issue? How do you prevent that kind of stuff from happening? That's what I would like to hear about. That's, that's, that's what I would like to hear. You know, like what kind of solutions do you have to prevent this kind of stuff from happening? Because the bills, at, the bill as it stands, doesn't help me, or doesn't help prevent those kind of things from happening. That's what we want. We want prevention from these kind of things from happening. 
You give me a hotline, that sounds really nice and all, right? But I already got my butt kicked in the middle of Central Park. Right, right, right. I don't want that to happen. That's the thing. That's great if I can get a hotline and report it, right? But like, how does that help me? I don't feel, I still don't feel safe walking around the city. You know what I mean? But is that, is that, that due that's to- no different than calling 911. It's like, what, you're gonna call the hotline first and then call 911? We wanna prevent the, these things from right. happening. So, how do we, what can, uh, what can our government officials do? What can law enforcement do to kind of prevent these kind of things and from what, happening? You, but then, okay, so then if I was to ask you, like, what would you, what would be an idea that you would like to present to say, hey, okay, this is one of the ways of prevention? Give them uh, prison time. No, but that when you say prison, that's well, all, crimes, uh, cr- well, crimes already committed. Why would you just? Well, actually, if if you commit a crime and there's a hate attached to it, it's automatic additional time. It's the, the, okay. So, like, if you have an assault and then you have a assault with a hate crime right. kind of attached to it, then you have more punishment for that. So that already is in place. Right. Oh, so, so that that doesn't really. So what? So so clearly, that's not really preventing this. Preventing kind of stuff. right. You know, would, would you would you say more policing? You know, but then it goes back to like now. Do you have going back to defunding the police and then funding the police? It just it just gets a little complicated. Well, defunding the police is something different than what people think it's about. It's not about taking money away from the police departments. It's really about reallocating the funds for social services, for training, for other other. But would that training be part of the? recognizing different methods of approach and, and, and trying to figure out the best means and approach to, for example, know. hate crimes. I, I guess. don't even know law enforcement is in a position to fix this, you know? It's a tough decision right now. It- like you can put a cop on every corner in New York City to prevent hate crimes from happening? You know, and you got it's cameras. You got cameras outside of every storefront that captures all these videos of, of these, these hate crimes happening. That doesn't stop anything, right? Like the perfect situation was the name Alex Wong. Right, middle that, of Times Square for crying out loud. Middle of Times Square, he was attacked. And he reported to the cops. Oh, they got people throwing rocks at me. They can't you do know, nothing. And, and they, I don't they think they're do anything. anything. I don't think they did anything. But they really can't do anything once the crime is committed. But what Ben's trying to get at is like, how do we prevent that from? those kids throwing the rocks in the first place. It's not going to prevent That's anything. not feasible. It's not, exactly, it's not it's feasible. This is not feasible. We, we arm the Asian American <laughs> population. <laughs> we arm the community, you know, give them weapons. Oh my God. That's the best, that's the best approach. Take it back to the 80s. Oh my goodness. In terms of protecting your property. Yeah. But it's, that's, that's a hard, that's a hard question to answer only because you, you want to be diplomatic in, in a sense of, how to approach it. I think right. it, and civil at the same and time, civil, but right. it's, it's public safety. It's public That's safety. Exactly. Right. But these things sh- are happening in public, like a train, like all these things are happening at like train subway stations. You know what I mean? Out it, in public. It's so crazy. This stuff used to be like happening behind closed doors. This is out, happening out in the open now. But, and, and then you also mentioned that like there's more cameras, there's more visibility. So that's not stopping, clearly that's not, not stopping. Clearly not even stopping it either. Right, Absolutely so not. so what's the right path forward? I couldn't even give you an answer. I can't even give you an answer. You know, I, I, I don't know what the right answer is either, you know? But do you think that this bill is 
I don't, I don't think it's doing it. I don't think it's going to accomplish very much, honestly. Yeah, because if I have this hotline, I can call 911 too. I'm not, yeah, you better call 911 first. Right? Honestly, if I, if, honestly, if I got assaulted, I don't know the, I don't know the number of the hotline. Yo, what's that number Where, for the hate crime? Yeah. <laughs> phone number? I like to report a no, hate crime. No, I don't know what the hell that number is. Right. Yeah, I'm calling 911, right? But even that, it's already too late. It's already, already too late. You know, somebody already got hurt. So what, is, what does this help? I think the hotline is just to keep track. And that was why they had that one dissent for, uh, for this bill. They had that one person that didn't want to um, sign on this bill because he didn't want Americans being tracked. See? He didn't want Americans being, being tracked because that's just like big brother kind of stuff. Like Big brother's already watching anyway. Yeah, listen. He's as soon a, as you have a phone, <laughs> everybody gives yeah. rights to do whatever they want. It's the same, not to gear off topic, but like if you're talking and having a discussion, Facebook comes up with these ads. It's like, oh, I was literally just talking about this and it pops up oh, in your ads. I would be surprised if we turn oh, off yeah. So, I mean. We get some ads about a- Asian hate and all this stuff. <laughs> so, it, it just. <sighs> what, what can we do? Um, we can. No, we can bring awareness to it first. I think that's the first step. Right. Definitely. Like, yo, listen, this is happening right now. Because a lot of people are in denial. Because especially with communities who are not affected, right? They're like, well, this is not happening. Asians, because they're living in their little bubble. Right. They're like, Asians are not experiencing hate. Yo, like, they're making so much more money than we are, right? They're living the life. You know, every Asian person that I know, they're doing really well in their lives. Like, mm-hmm. I, like, if this is happening, this is a very, this is an isolated incident. Right. This is right. not widespread, right? So what we could do is spread awareness first. I think that's, I think that would be a good first step. Like, yo, listen, this is actually happening. Right, right. Um, and report all of it. Have, have, have the media report all of it. But then it also goes back to how certain Asian communities that they've been raised in a way that they don't want to. They don't want to. Bring attention to themselves. Right. But maybe they have to kind of get out from that. Right. In a sense, like, we are only seeking attention only because it's important. It's it's relevant right. to how we move forward. There was uh, an article I read this morning. There's a generational gap between the older generation and, you know, the younger generation right now. You know, the younger generation is not opposed to speaking out. Right, right. Attending these rallies and, and, you know, attending these protests, organizing these protests. A lot of these elders are like, what are you doing? This doesn't really change anything. You're just like going out there screaming from from a megaphone. Like, mm-hmm. you're not really doing anything, right? right? It's no change, right? Uh, but the younger generation is like, no, we're going to change this. You know, we're going to go out into the streets and bring awareness to our struggles. And, you know, we're not we're not going to be that model minority anymore where we just sit in the corner and just shut up and like let these things happen to us. We're going to take our destiny into our own hands and, and bring it in the forefront to mm-hmm. bring awareness. Because that is the older generation. And that and that's I guess, I guess I'm kind of part of that generation myself where I was brought up not to ruffle feathers, right. not to bring attention to myself, just focus on myself and only, you know, pick my battles to the battles that I know I'm going to win, you know, that I can see quantifiable results. But does that limit you? That's, does that limit you in terms of being, a, being the, the one to taking those steps to say, Hey, listen, this is whatever's going on. This is not right. I'm, I'm in that middle. I'm not, you know, I'm in that mm, squishy, you're middle, in a squishy right? area. <laughs> right? Squishy middle. So like, I'm, I'm kind of that bridge between that younger generation where like, listen, this is not cool. The status quo is not cool. We need to change it. We need to change it for the better for our, for our kids, for the future of, of, of our community. Um, but I also understand where my elders came from. You know, like, listen, we got this far in America, not ruffling any feathers. 
you know, most of us are doing really well, but there are also a lot of us who are struggling, but most of us are doing well with this formula. So maybe, maybe we shouldn't mess with this formula. Mess with the formula too much. Right. See, but when it comes to the formula, it's society puts us in that, in that position. Mm -hmm. Do you think so? Oh yeah, definitely. Because, because that's how the whole term ghetto came from. The slums. The slums and all stuff that came from derived from the Indians. Everybody lives in a community. And then now when it comes to like the agenda, the propaganda now, you know, because remember we learned this about uh, New York City, uh, New York City architecture where the propaganda kind of like puts us in this in, in society, in our little communities and keep us there. They don't want you to leave. They don't want us to leave. Right. But when, when, we, when we were learning about that, that was really in terms of space. Right. That the infrastructure, the, the infrastructure in, New York, right. in New York that kind of kind of pigeonholed you. Like if you were immigrating into this country, you only fit into this particular exactly. area. Exactly. And this is where we're going to put you because this is where you fit. Basically, this is where the space is for you. So. And it's funny because like, like, how does my family know they have to come to New York and go and go to Queens and just live in Queens, you know, like how, do, how does my family know? They got to find their people. Exactly. That's, what, that's what's happening. I don't think, I think it's kind of like double-sided. It is two sides to that. You know, I mean, it might, there might be something in the infrastructure that kind of perpetuates that type of behavior. But also if you were to go to a foreign country, you were to leave America and you were to go to some random country, let's say Australia or something like that. Well, I don't. I wouldn't say Australia because you guys are more American than anything else, right? Right. Yeah. So, like, if you go to Australia or something like, that, you probably go find other Americans and go hang out with them, maybe. Right. Right. I don't know. Or, or let's say I don't know. You know, it's a terrible example. Australia is a terrible example because they speak English, right? So let's say you go to like, um, like you go to Hong Kong or something like that. Okay. All right. Okay. It's gonna be very hard for you guys to fit in. You're probably looking for other Americans to hang out with. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> and you I know? think that's the same idea in terms of trying to find where you fit. Yeah, but my thing is like, who's telling these people they have to come to these areas? You I know? don't think it's always being told where they're going. I think sometimes they just automatically find their own people. Like, oh, okay. I'll go where this person is. Because I'll tell you an example. All right, so you know that I moved recently to where I live right now, right? right? right, right. My in-laws, they're not from that area, right? But somehow they found their own Korean church. They found the Korean supermarkets. They found their own little group of Korean friends that they hang out with in this new town where we move, right. where we moved to. <laughs> They don't, they don't, we, we were just talking about how, like how we have a neighbor, right? My, my in-laws don't talk to the neighbors. Because <laughs> there's a communication barrier, right? Right. But my mother-in-law, she goes to church every day. She has her own little friends, you know, her own little group of friends, her new group of friends that she's only known for like, you know, five or six years, as long as we've been in town, right? right? These are her people. Right, so it's not to say that society is saying, "Yo, you gotta go hang out with these people." Right, it's not the society telling her to do that. She she did it on her own. She, she found, did it on her own. She right. found her. She found her own people. So I, I think in a way, we can't blame systemic racism to uh, on, right. on that. You know, you have Chinese people coming in from overseas, coming into Chinatowns. Right, it's just their people. They don't speak English. Right, these are their people. They can find their own foods. They can find people who kind of like have similar backgrounds. And then they relate to on in different right. levels. Right. right, they can conduct business together and all that kind of stuff. You know, they can. Yeah, it's just an easier transition for them. Right, because other locations are excluding us from being there, but we have to find our own people. Just like was it Levittown, New York? It was. It was supposed to be excluded from African Americans. Yeah. 
Back in the when, 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 oh, there is some of that happening right. too. They were still right. They weren't allowed to sell. They to weren't. They weren't allowed to sell to African Americans or, or any other minorities outside of the group of the San Francisco. Of, San Francisco was the same way. Oh, look at that! That's why you have China. Anytime you see Chinatowns in the United States, that's usually what happened. Also, yeah, yeah. Not, there's a little like a, a radius. There's a radius yep. where they're every not, state, they're not allowed to right, leave. Every state has its own Chinatown. I mean. When we've like traveled, we've we've been lucky enough to experience that in every like Canada. Yeah, Canada has its own own little Chinatown. Chinatown. Mm-hmm. I mean, amazing. But, but the political there's a political machine that does control a little bit of that. I was gonna say, okay. do you think that that might have been an t- influence me, on that? Because let well? me tell you something. I live in a black and brown city town. Well, it's a big town, so I guess it's a city, right? Um, but I would say though, and I think I, I think I told you the uh, the demographics. It's like fifty percent. Central American, but they have almost no representation in the city government. Okay. So that means the people in city government, they're making all the rules that don't necessarily represent the well-being of the The people people they represent in the the community, right? So let's say you needed to have a, um, uh, a community center for that population. Maybe, you know, one where maybe they can have, uh, maybe they can have a community center where they can celebrate, you know, the things that they celebrate or uh, uh, foods that they eat or whatever the community, whatever that community, Traditions, need, whatever, whatever, whatever they, they need to do, right? But like, instead of having it in a city center, they have those community centers like in the outskirts of town where it's like really hard to get to. Oh my goodness. Whatever. Or even uh, like uh, a childcare. Like let's say there's a free childcare in town, right? Uh, but it's not in the city center. It's like, Way. Right. right, but like why would like? So you're given there, there are resources, but they make it difficult for you to in order to attain them. Mm-hmm. So it's always it's always that obstacle that you're trying to find a niche and trying right. to find where you fit. But that's their way of saying, oh, we can't say Who's that they? we gave you the resource. We can't we didn't give you the resources because they were there. You just choose not to use them. It's sort of like, uh, like it's, it's, sort, it's, sort, it's almost it's almost like Jim Crow when they're like, hey, listen, we gave it to you. It's just over here, right? You know, like you can't go to certain hotels, you can't go to certain bathrooms, you can't go to uh, certain things. It's um, yeah, we gave it to you, we but it's just, it to you, but, but it just happens to be like twenty miles on outside that of side. town, yeah, on that side. <laughs> you know, so I mean, there is a political machine uh, that does exist that can either help the situation or they can exacerbate the problem. So it's hiding behind a veil. That's how I feel like it's behind a veil that if what we're trying to do as, you know, as parents and as people, we're trying to move that veil and kind of bring the information up front and say, hey, this is what's, what's, what's happening in the communities. What can we do to help you? Right. So when you talk about political gains in that sense, like we have to depend on our leaders to some extent, but then if they're not in there for the best intentions, I don't know is because they don't know who the people, you know, the people that they are serving in their community or they're aware of it, but there's really that they can't do nothing about it. Yeah. I think another thing that we could do to kind of help the situation is maybe encourage Asian Americans to play a more active role in the political machine. Right. Cause they're there. They don't, there's not, too, they don't, they don't, there's not enough representation. There's not enough representation. Because the thing is, if you can get some influence in that political machine, you can start pulling some strings. Hey, listen, I think the community center should be in the middle of the town for our community. It's not, it's not right where if you have a city of 50% Chinese, 
Chinese Americans that you right. put you put the community center twenty miles right. outside of town, or if they don't have the right buses or the bus routes to go to that, or or there's too many too many things that are blocking them in order to even get to the community center. That's right, or uh, whatever it is, right? Because it's also kind of a, it's kind of a problem that we kind of made ourselves too. Like the Asian community, like we we encourage our our children to go into STEM careers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and they don't they don't really, not too many of them get encouraged to go into politics. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Okay, that's, that's, interesting. that's another systemic thing. Yeah. Now you, you now you're giving. So uh, we can't blame that on other people. We've right. I was gonna help. yeah. I was gonna say that's not something that you can really take blame for. But if you again, if it's if it's something about being raised, right? So we're talking about. We don't want to ruffle feathers. We want to gear towards a lucrative career. We're pushing our children to be into the STEM, STEM meaning it's um, uh, science. science. We're talking about um, tech engineering, tech engineering, engineering math. math. Mm-hmm. So when you're thinking about those routes of education and pushing to those careers, they can't help the community in doing that. It's very little that they can contribute to the community as right. far as like. Uh, uh, you know, uh, as far as their involvement goes with the political machine in the communities, because that's where that's where that's where you can have the most influence. Actually, you know, with the school system, with the policing, and all that kind of stuff, because that's all that's all that's. Um, yeah. But so I think a lot of it comes down to like being discouraged, because it seems like there's so many redlining and and, and trying to get the point across, and it's, it's so many things that can kind of just diminish the whole point of doing it like this is a, this almost is like a build of a disappointment because i feel like myself i really don't like to get into politics it's just not for me because for me it's just like i, I can't really truly understand it i don't want to be responsible and making decisions for other people if i don't really know where they're coming from right and i think this stems from yeah, you because know, we do have politicians and congressmen that do that grew up in the community that want to make a difference and they can't but then we also have other other people that in Congress that want to make a difference, but then also they can't. They don't know about they it. They get opposition from the other side. Yeah, they just can't get their work done. Yeah, it's very know, they try. You know, it, it's you know because I have friends in that I grew went to school with, and you you kind of worked with yeah, him too. Yeah. And he's pretty really big on on the the nursing community and the health stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's he's like an advocate for it, and he's always getting blocked, you know, all the time. You know, there's so much a congressman or your, or but your I think, senator can do. Right. But I think if we can break it down to a smaller level, right. right, what can we do in our own communities or in our own circles, right? Educate educate others, awareness. That's going to be the first step. Um, so they know that this is, does exist. I'm, I'm sure anyone who's listening to this, they know that racism is bad. You know, hate against Asian people is bad. I think everyone knows that already, you know? But I think awareness is going to be a, a big step forward. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I, yeah, I just don't think that this bill is going to do, accomplish very much. Um, we, I, you know, I, I, only thing I could, I could tell my, that I could recommend currently at the moment is maybe just have people in my community just to be extra careful right now. That's all. Just to... Be aware of your surroundings. Hyper vigilant. That would be, be like. Vigilant. Don't yep. be. Don't. Um, don't be naive. You know. Um, 
just be extra, extra alert, you know, because maybe before we weren't a target, but now we are now a target. Are, now you guys. So I wouldn't recommend like traveling by yourself. You know, don't travel late at night. Um, you know, just try to avoid trouble at the moment. As far as like avoid danger at the moment, you know, don't don't go. They've been trying to do that from the beginning. <laughs> you know, well, I, I think um, I think they felt comfortable in their environment. They felt safe in their environment, and they didn't really think that anything was going to happen, right? But right. now, but remember, we we said this uh, in the last episode where people now feel emboldened to act out on act out. Mm-hmm. On, on these things, right? And their desires, and so um, so right now, I, I would encourage you know my Asian American peers just to be safe right now. Be smart. Be safe. And um, just be very, very, be very careful out there. Be proactive Until, and be proactive yeah. in your safety. Yeah, um, because I don't know. I don't think you can. I don't know if you can change anything. These things, the, a lot of these crimes, I don't even know that you can prevent them or not. No, like, like, like the like the shooting in Atlanta. How would you prevent that? Oh, where would, where would you even you begin? Can. Where would no, you even begin? This is like the movie Minority Report, where they see something happen before it happens. <laughs> And they go arrest the guy. Oh like, my goodness! Oh, but you had the intentions of doing it. Yeah, but you had the intentions. Of doing no, it. no, we don't live in that type of. World. Yeah, we don't live <laughs> no, in that type of. But like, like, like you look at all these incidents that are in the news right now, right? Think about how would you have prevented that? I I wouldn't even know how to answer. These are all unforeseen for circumstances. Yeah, but these are all unprovoked. That's the, that's what that's what we're trying to figure out. Like these are unprovoked. I think one of them, the guy said he was just he was just angry and just needed to take it out on somebody, something like that. Just so unfortunate. I mean, you know, like because of the last, I mean, I, I might get a lot of heat for this, right? But like, you know, a lot of these folks, they feel emboldened to take these actions, not just because of their um, discriminatory beliefs that, you know, Asians are not going to fight back. You can just go pick on them and not going to do anything, right? But now they feel emboldened to do it because maybe their political leaders, the people they look up to say, hey, listen, that's okay. Right. You know? We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna talk smack about these Chinese people and, and blame agree. this whole thing on them. And uh, if we want to mistreat them, go mistreat them. You know what I mean? Right. And if, and if something happens, like, well, I didn't tell them to go. Well, oh, I didn't dog. tell them. I didn't say that <laughs> directly. Right. So they just pass off blame and they don't take the responsibility. You right. know, if you are in the political position, words, you words matter. Now, if you are not part of the Asian American community, right? Let's say you're not a member of that community. What you can do to help is to call out these things when you see them. These, these, if you call, hey, listen, that's not appropriate. That's not cool. Recognize that, that that's not cool. You know, try to, right. try to pump the brakes on that before it gets too far. Before it gets too far. You know what I mean? And, um, I and also, some people might need to check themselves a little bit more often. You know, <laughs> that's hard. You know, check themselves. Because what I mean by that is like, you know, I mentioned in the previous podcast that you have folks who are racist, you have people who are not racist. Mm-hmm. Then you have that squishy middle where you have folks who don't think they're racist. Right. Right. But they're, they are. But they are. Okay. They don't think that they have these, uh, these racist thoughts in their heads, but they are. That's where I mean by like, that's what I mean by checking themselves. Like if someone says, hey, listen, what you said there was not appropriate. Instead of going on the defensive, have a conversation. And, and, and find out why that's appropriate, why that's hurtful, why that's not cool. Right, okay? Instead right. of being defensive. Yo, okay. I, got, I got that one black friend. I'm married to an Asian woman. You know, like, right, I'm right. not racist, you know? So instead of going into the defensive mode, have that conversation. All right, 
I hear you. I see you. You know, why why was that hurtful to you? I want to understand. I want to understand. Right. You know? So if you're not part of this community that's being oppressed, have a conversation. And this is not just for Asian Americans. Right. This, this is, is applicable. For, it's applicable to all, all the other minorities who are oppressed. You right. know? When someone says that what you're saying is not appropriate or hurtful or whatever it is, not right, have a conversation. That could help. In fact, I think that might help more than putting more cops on the street. You know, talk to your friends. Hey, listen, that's not cool. I love this conversation. Because we, we, want, we want to use this platform to bring awareness to everybody, not just in one particular community. Right. Yeah. And then, but I think that's the whole purpose. The whole purpose is it's, it's a large learning curve. Because having this conversation with you, I wouldn't even know half of these terms. I, I didn't even know. Didn't, wasn't even aware. And it's it's such a it's such a a powerful um, message that we're trying to send. You know, not to not just our kids, but to our listeners as well. You know, and this is all about learning, learning. And you mentioned it before that Ben made a great point about this is. Um, an opportunity to learn. That's all we can do. That's all we, that we can offer. It's just opportunity. Yeah. Whether whether if it's an opportunity to learn, whether if it's an opportunity to work, whether it's an opportunity to um, engage in, in, in learning about different cultures, different backgrounds, different religions, it's just all, it all boils down to just opportunity. And, I, and that's what everybody wants. Everybody just wants an opportunity. But Ben, I want to really thank you for... Um, coming and joining us today and we know i think we feel i feel like we need a part three i don't know (laughs) i feel i feel like we need a part three because it's just like there's just so many i feel like we're still scratching we're still scratching the surface (laughs) but um ben if you can give us a little bit of um, information where we can find you um you know just plug us in and let us know where you know where you at well i uh i could be found well, I, uh, I don't know if your listeners know this. I am a wedding photographer. Did we talk about that? Yeah, <laughs> I, we yeah, briefly yeah. talked about yeah, it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I am a wedding photographer along with my wife. Uh, you can find me at benlau.com, B-E-N-L-A-U.com. Or you can find me on Instagram at, uh, at benlauphoto. But it's just really just photos of people laughing. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Yeah, but we celebrate love in all its forms. And um, yeah, I just, that's what you're going to find when you go there. So... Giving you guys a heads up. That's all. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I want to thank everybody today. Andre, you've been awesome as always. I try. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, guys, thank you so much for having this discussion with us. And we'll see you on the next podcast. This is table four.